Well, should we talk about books? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. But I before we talk about books, I, I have a joke for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> can't forget the joke. I can't believe I forgot about the joke. I can't either. I'm a little offended. I thought you looked forward to my jokes. I mean, I do. I, it's, it's like a pleasant surprise. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you forgot you had uh, leftover pizza from the day before, and then you open the fridge at breakfast time, and you're like, this day has just done a total 180. You have strong feelings about leftover pizza. Yeah, I do. Okay. P- pizza rat is my spirit animal, for sure. Well, I was going to be offended, but now I think I'll walk that back and, and be flattered. <laughs> All right, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, what did the janitor shout as he jumped out of the maintenance closet? I don't know. I got nothing. Supplies. Oh. <laughs> I was trying to think of su- surprise, but something different. <laughs> and so it delivered. You know, that good. one That one I'm giving a good rating because it's like, I was almost there, but not quite. Yeah. So the discovery was even better. You were on the right track. I was. <laughs> I was. It makes it better and a little more painful. It's like, maybe I could have got it if I just thought about it for 20 minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it's worth 20 minutes of thought. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Well, we're back for another another episode of uh, Why Did You Read That? Um, with me, I'm Peter. And, and I'm Megan. And she's Megan. Yep. So, uh, same format. We've each, well, we did our joke. And then we've each got uh, four books. And then uh, we'll pick two of the other person's books. So we'll talk about a total of four books of the mm-hmm. eight that we've brought to the table. Um, I brought some repeats because I haven't I haven't read as much in the last uh, month as normal. But uh, disappointing. I know. You it's know, okay. I started. Like, it happens to everybody. Yeah, it does. Well, I started a bunch of things, and you know, one thing I decided not to finish. Another thing I'm part way through. It's pretty long, and then there's another one that uh, same deal. It's like fairly long, and I don't know. You know how you get in that cycle sometimes and you're like, I just need to clear the docket here and start fresh. Absolutely. So that's, I have been there. That's where I'm at, but I'll do better for next month. But I still brought some some great things to talk about. Excellent. Well, I believe you go first this time because I went first last time. All right. Um, well, I decided to do an all comics version. For I'm uh, shocked to hear it. Yeah, that blows you away. <laughs> Um, so let's see, I'm reading one called Flaming Carrot Comics, which is a a very indie comic that's available on Hoopla. Um, and it's, it's weird. And I say that as me and I read a lot of weird stuff. And this is like almost, uh, almost to my limit of weird. I mean, I, I'm familiar with some of what you've read, and so I have to admit I'm very intrigued to hear what you find very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's up there. Um, All right. Let's see. I have uh, Marvel Secret Wars from the 1980s, uh, which is basically the shortest version is a weird cosmic entity brings a bunch of superheroes and a bunch of supervillains to a planet that he uncreatively names battle world and they have to duke it out um and it's kind of one of the first very like big superhero crossover books okay um i have one called x-men grand design uh which is kind of somebody did i don't want to call it a remake it's almost like if you made an expanded timeline of x-men history where you had for every four issues of X-Men, you had one page of comics. Um, and then the last one is kind of an oddity as well. It's a book called Army of Darkness, colon, Ash Saves Obama. Um, <laughs> this is from several years ago. And uh, I, I don't actually know if I recommend it, but we could get into that more if you want to hear about it. Um, and just as, you know... Uh, Warning for anyone listening, There's, it's a very apolitical book. <laughs> I know that might come as a huge surprise, but uh, 
You know, there's not a lot of in-depth information about the Affordable Care Act or anything like that. Okay. <laughs> so, I don't know so if that's So it's more just for, like, shock way. value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, well, let's put it this way. If you were worried about, like, offensive or inoffensive politics or whatever, um, I think you could swap out Barack Obama with just about anybody, president-wise, and, you know... It, the story wouldn't be drastically okay. changed. <laughs> okay. So it's not the politics that matters, it's the position. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. You don't have gotcha. to respect the man, just, uh, I don't know if you even have to respect the office for this book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I I cannot pass up your Flaming Carrot comics, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, I really, I need to hear about what you find bizarre. Okay. I'm ready. Um, well, so Flaming Carrot Comics were um, an early indie comic, so it's kind of an underground, like, usually it's one person writes, draws, and, you know, conceptualizes everything. A lot of these came out in the in the 80s, um, and they would be distributed by really small comics companies, so it wasn't like a, you know, a creator working for Marvel or DC, let's say. If I were writing for Spider-Man, I don't own that character, and there's a lot of rules of what I can and can't do. Right. Um, and then there were a lot of people who decided, like, well, I'll just make my own thing so I can do whatever I want. Um, so it was by a guy named Bob Burden, and uh, whatever he wanted to do was very strange. <laughs> so <laughs> Flaming Carrot is a, a man. Um, who has a giant carrot mask. So it, it looks like a carrot, except it's a mask that extends from his head all the way almost down to his feet and then well up above his head. Um, and then... So it's it's a mask, not a costume? Yeah. So it's like floating in, in front of his body down to his feet. That's kind of what it looks like, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and the top of it has a flame that's always turned on. At one point... Um, he goes into a bar and they're like, hey, buddy, you got to turn that flame off. So he goes to some kind of valve on his mask and turns it down. None of this is explained beforehand. Like, <laughs> there's no reason that there's a flame and there's no particular reason he seems to be wearing a carrot mask. Um, we're basically introduced to the character of Flaming Carrot as he's um, seems to be sort of a... I don't even know what to call him. Like he doesn't, he doesn't have a home. He doesn't have like a superhero team. He's just kind of like a man about town, I guess. <laughs> is he him. a hero or a villain? He is a hero. Okay. Um, later on in the book, the origin story is about five lines long, and basically it says that he was a normal guy, and then he read five thousand superhero comics in one sitting, and it damaged him. Um, so that he became, you know, uh, unstable and decided to be the flaming carrot. <laughs> See, now I'm worried about your welfare. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, cause this book is like 400 pages or something. Um, to give you an idea of like some of the things that happen in this book, some of the plot points, uh, the plot doesn't really mean a lot as I'm sure you can imagine from this, you know, it's not like a tightly woven mystery. Right. Um, the mayor of the city he lives in is afflicted with, uh, he got shot by some kind of ray that turned his head into a baby's head. <laughs> so <laughs> he's got an adult body, but his head looks like a Gerber baby. And he kind of oscillates between being like a normal adult man and then acting like a baby. <laughs> and it's okay. There's panels almost like if you've seen classic romance comics, you know, where, a a woman is like three quarters view of her face and she's got her hand up on her face and she's wondering, you know, in the panel, like, oh, yeah. what will I do now? You know, and yeah, will a... Brad ever come to his senses and know how much I love him? Exactly. And there's a bunch gotcha. of panels of the mayor's wife like that, you know, like, oh, will his baby head ever return back to normal? <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a pretty entertaining I think one of the most entertaining setups I saw was um, Flaming Carrot was hanging out with Death, who was just personified as a guy. Um, okay. 
And so Flaming Carrot was taking him out for the evening to have fun and was like, there's a caveat, though. You can't use any of your mystical powers unless I say so. Um, so Flaming Carrot was uh, getting beat up, basically, in the back room of this bar. So he could not tell Death that it was okay to not use his powers. Um, so Death wanted to intervene, but he was like, the problem is I'm 76 times stronger than an average man. So what he did is he shrank himself to 176th the size <laughs> that he normally is and then burst into the room and beat everybody up as basically a tiny action figure. <laughs> See, now Marvel would have us understanding that that's not how physics works based on <laughs> Ant-Man. Yep. <laughs> yes, that would be, you know, and there was even a mention of like his specific gravity or something, which I almost fell into the trap of Googling because I was like, oh, I kind of remember this from physics class. And then I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not going to find information that helps this make any sense. Like that they would be, must be held accountable. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what am I going to do? Write to Bob Bird and be like, hey, you know that bizarre comic you wrote where death was hanging out with flaming carrot? Uh, in the 1980s? Yeah, and you said his specific <laughs> gravity would blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, yeah, you would definitely be, like, the total embodiment of one of those people from the internet. Yeah. Well, actually... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be kind of amazing to see Bob Burden be on, like, a panel at Comic-Con and be asked very scrutinizing, specific questions about his works. Because it's, you know, it's like asking about just... It's like asking someone detailed questions about the logic behind a dream they had. It's right. Like, it's like, I mean, what kind of answer do you think you're going to get? Yeah. Um, so that's that's like Flaming Carrot in a nutshell, I guess. Um, in a carrot leaf? I don't know what a carrot comes in that would be. Hmm. In a cake. Um, a carrot cake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're going to have a carrot, why not have it as a cake? Yeah. There you go. Um, so it's very, I guess, quirky would be the nice way to describe it, and nonsensical is the harsher way. But if you're like, mm -hmm. if you like things that are kind of in that realm of so weird that they're just compelling, yeah. um, if that's your thing, then I, I'd give it a shot. You know, it's it's worth a hoopla check out. And uh, so you found it enjoyable to read, even though it was weird. I did because it it keeps being weird. It's not like some yeah. things where it's, uh, like I would say the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics, right? They also kind of came from the indie comic scene and whatever. And they're, they're weird at first because it's, uh, you know, we've sort of accepted as a culture this concept of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. But <laughs> when you go back on it, you're like, yeah, that's a pretty bizarre idea. Um, mm -hmm. But as you read Yeah, them, I remember being introduced to the... the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. My brother was a big fan, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, three years older than him, and thinking like, "I, I what?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had the same experience late. You know, I was like a turtles that was right in my wheelhouse and everything. But then later, when it was like the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and they were doing mm -hmm. all this stuff, and I was like, "This is crazy. I can't. I can't <laughs> hang with this." I'm too mature for this. I'm 12. Kids these days. <laughs> yeah. These millennials or whatever. I don't know what they were at that time. But yeah. Yeah. And it's like kids who are 18 months younger than me. <laughs> like, yeah. Know, when you're reminiscing about when you were a child. Yeah. Three years ago. <laughs> yeah. In my day, which was the previous Tuesday, here's what we did. But uh, yeah. So it's like uh, those... The Ninja Turtle comics were a strange concept, but the comic is actually, like, it makes sense, and it, it doesn't get super weird. It's yeah. fairly restrained, considering the starting point. Um, this is totally unrestrained, totally weird, totally just like, whatever Bob Burden thought he wanted to talk about that day, that's what he talked about. <laughs> but it's consistent. It's internally consistent, so it won't... Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, kind of yeah. once you're in the world, it's like, seems like things don't make sense, but they all kind of don't make sense in the same way. All right. So if you yeah. can just abandon all logic, ye who enter, 
Um, <laughs> flaming carrot is it's pretty fun if you can go into it with an attitude of like I'm just gonna have fun with this. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's an amusement park ride. Exactly, and if you yeah. stop having fun, you know, don't finish it. Just stop. <laughs> stop because you're not gonna be happy if you keep going. But if you're at an amusement park, do not try to climb off of the roller coasters, please. Yeah. Yep. Just, I don't know. I don't know what that's to do. The, if you... That's that's where books are better. You can get <laughs> off in the middle. <laughs> that's true. It's exactly the opposite of a roller coaster because you can quit whenever you feel like it. Yeah. Without risking death and dismemberment. Yeah. You'll probably be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, do you want to tell me about your books and then I'll pick one? Sure. I have a bit of a variety this week. All right. Uh, so the first one is Act Your Age, Eve Brown by Talia Hibbert. And it is a contemporary enemies to lovers, opposites attract story. Talia Hibbert is one of my all-time favorite writers. Um, so picked that one. Then I've got one called Bears Behaving Badly <laughs> by Mary Janice Davidson. And it is a... It is about the shape-shifting version of, like, the foster care system. <laughs> and it's a romance novel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then I have a book that I know you've read, because you're the one who recommended I read it. Uh, the Vision by Tom King, which is the graphic novel about vision when he creates family for himself. Mm -hmm. And then, finally, The Patient by Jasper DeWitt. And that is psychological horror um, about a psychiatric hospital with a, an incurable patient. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think based on the... Do you want to try and guess which one I'm going to pick first based on... <laughs> you know, if I were, gonna, if I were a betting woman, mm -hmm. I'd say you're going for bears behaving badly. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> You should have put some money on it because you are yeah. 100% correct. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm I'm so surprised here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so it's Bears Behaving Badly, Mary Janice Davidson. Mary Janice is all one work, uh, which I always found interesting. So it's so the organization is called the Interspecies Placement Agency. So it takes place in basically our world, except shapeshifters exist. Humans don't generally know that shapeshifters exist, but shapeshifters obviously know that humans exist. So they are kind of in this second level of they have their own like court system. They have their own foster care, like children's protective services, all of that. Mm -hmm. And the main character is Annette Garcy, and she is a bear shifter and a caseworker for the Interspecies Placement Agency. Um there are lots of really fun details. She's always, always eating because, you know, she's a bear. <laughs> <laughs> she has a huge sweet tooth. Anything with honey in it, she loves. Um, most people find her frightening. She's, you know, nobody has seen her bear form in the book, but she is a, a large person and kind of glaring, resting facial expressions. People find her a bit intimidating and a bit scary. Uh, then you have the hero of the book. His name is David Oberon. He's also a bear shifter and a private investigator. People don't seem to know a whole lot about him. Um, he's kind of an enigmatic, you know, just kind of shows up and doesn't talk much. Uh, and the the organization that they work for, they're not very uh, subtle about the fact that they're trying to set these two up. <laughs> they start, there are these constant rumors swirling. They'll walk up to one or both of them and say like, Hey, when were you guys going out again? You know, and they're both, <laughs> they're, they're both like, we're not, we're not dating. Um, so, which is, you know, cute and funny. Mary Janice Davidson has a reputation for being like lighthearted and funny. This is a bit of a departure for her because the book deals with some serious stuff, but she still has that humor. So uh, Annette Garcy, she is assigned a case with a, a teenage shifter who refuses to speak. Um, she's been through something traumatic and she won't talk. So she is trying to find her a safe place to be and also trying to figure out like what happened to her and um, protect her. Lots of things come to light about like um, kids who are in this agency who go missing and um, there are some murders and they they're trying to figure out like there's there start to come hints about you know 
something is going on in the shifter community that is hurting kids. So there are children in peril in this book and uh, some child abuse and stuff like that. So anybody who's sensitive about that would probably want to avoid this one because it is a running theme through the whole book. Um, there's lots of conspiracy and action. Um, you know, at one point you'll be thinking like, oh, this person is a total ally. And then you start to be like, oh, maybe that bad guy. Uh, and then back and forth, um, some action scenes. Eventually you get what everybody really wants out of a shape-shifting book, which is a big fight where everybody shapeshifts into like giant bears and stuff that's, and fight each other. That's yeah, what, gotta yeah. have that. When you were like, what everybody's <laughs> waiting for, I was like, yep, yep that's 100% what I was like. All right, when does the animal fight happen? Yep, it happens. <laughs> and, you know, it's not just like bears and wolves and stuff. You also have like one character is some kind of a, a predatory bird. I forget what kind, um, but she's super tiny and then when she shapeshifts she's this giant predatory bird which is fun um yeah i think i'm trying to remember there's this judge and he is an herbivore and he's enormous and i can't i want to say he's like a rhino or something (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) but yeah so it's weird it's the first in a series i'm on hold for the second it should be out soon uh and i'm looking forward to reading it because it's you know, it's a, a fun, it's almost like a romantic suspense, but there's lots of comedy and obviously it's paranormal. Um, it's it's a, a bit of a change of pace for the kinds of romances I usually read, but I, I found it really enjoyable, you know? Um, yeah, I, I like a grumpy heroine. I like awkward, you know, an awkward couple in a romance. They're definitely awkward around each other. Uh, and there's a lot going on that's not the romance part. So if you're looking for some good, you know, mystery suspense stuff, that's in there too. It seems like, uh, I don't know, what do you think it is about? There's this kind of like a uh, theme of world within our world kind of thing, you know, like yeah. um, like Harry Potter, right? There's the magic world that exists kind of side by side yeah. with our world or... Fables, the comic book was kind of like that, or um, yeah, oh, I love Fables. I guess Twilight too was that way. I, I keep comparing it to these like teen novel series or uh, yeah, younger series, but this seems like a thing. It is a thing, yeah. I th- I mean, I have my you know librarian hat answer, and I have my reader hat answer. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of two sides of the same coin, I guess. Um, I think um, like when it comes to fantasy and that kind of thing, I think a lot of times building a whole new world from scratch, it takes a lot of time and effort Mm -hmm. to create something that feels very realized, but everyone also likes that feeling of like fresh and exciting. So I, I think that you have, when you read one of these books, you have this sense that, you know, you're in on a secret, you know, that it's something special and only, you know, but also you don't have to, it's also a world that's familiar. So you don't have to put in like 200 pages worth of how do I pronounce this name? What does this place look like? How does the magic work? Yeah. You know, it's, it's our world. So you know it and that's all done. You just have to figure out like, oh, there's a, a CPS, but it's for shapeshifters. <laughs> <laughs> right. Done. <laughs> that does make sense. I guess it, yeah. And like from that perspective too, it's easier for You know, yeah, like one thing, I'm not that into that aspect of fantasy of like uh, building the entire world and everything. Mm -hmm. So if it is a world that's similar to ours or even identical to ours, but then there's this aspect I don't know about, I guess that does save me a lot of time. Yeah, I know a lot of people, a lot of my friends, they like uh, a bit of the fantastic in their books, but they have no patience for lots and lots of detailed world building. So, yeah, yeah, like I think um, this like hits both of those notes. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, like when I tried to read uh, Dune, that Frank Herbert book, and I was kind of like, oh man. I mean, there's a lot of world building. There's a lot yeah. of like, here's how things work, and here's like the important, you know, dynasties in this world, and like here's how this works. And I was just like, eh. I, yeah. yeah, I just don't want to read like five pages about a sword. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people love that and that's I great know. too. But if you don't have the patience for it, like it is a lot. Yeah. Oh, I will readily admit that it is a, uh, you know, character flaw of mine that I'm just like, I just don't, I'm just not interested. But yeah, it's not, uh, it's not because that stuff's bad. It's just like, a, sure. 
It's just, uh, you know, some people don't like chocolate. And it's, <laughs> I just yeah. don't like descriptions of the history of a sword. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, I, I don't have any patience for, like, place names and character names that I have no idea. That are just weird and, like, I'm, I can't even figure out how to pronounce them. Yeah. I want it to be, like, unusual, but I can figure out how to say it. <laughs> right. But I can take some world-building detail, but, you know, the really, really involved stuff I tend to get over it eventually and i don't want to do it anymore <laughs> yeah same well what's the uh so that's like the the librarian hat or was that the reader hat? oh well, it's kind of both um yeah. because i'm that way as a reader but as you know i kind of step back when i'm working with readers and look at things from a different perspective and so that's why i kind of think i see it gotcha. that way you know but I've, I've experienced it as a reader but that's the way i explain it as a librarian so then it's you know you've read quite a bit of romance, so I would you... say that's a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic when I say you've read a fair number of romance novels. Yeah. I'll accept that statement. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think that like having read more of them, you have like a stronger desire to read romance novels that are like a little, uh, you know, like Flaming Carrot, right? Was is very unusual in comics. Do you mm -hmm. find yourself attracted to the unusual things in romance just because it's like different or does mm -hmm. it really depend? I mean, it does depend there. Are, I like reading something that's really skillfully done. Yeah. So even if it's a story that I feel very familiar with, if it's super skillfully done, I really enjoy that. But I will say that if somebody is doing something different, you know, or doing, trying something that hasn't been done before, um, even if they don't entirely land it, you know, I'm always interested in that. So um, Courtney Milan, she's writing, you know, Victorian romances, but in a village that's populated with a bunch of Chinese people, you know, who, who immigrated over. And it's not, not historically accurate, but it's also not fully historically accurate. She's creating this like world where diversity is, easy to find and accept it, you know, and, you know, so I, I'm interested in that. I want to see how she pulls it off or um, there's another author I read who she writes, you know, old school romance plots, like stuff from the eighties and nineties that are, you know, problematic in a lot of ways. Now, you know, a lot of the, the assumptions people have about the way romance works came from the eighties and nineties. Um, so she's writing those kinds of stories with those kinds of plots, but with very modern-minded heroines. Uh, uh, and I find that really interesting as well. Um, so that kind of thing, I'm always, I'm more likely to pick it up if it's like, how are they going to pull that off? <laughs> I gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I think it's like when you get real into something, you can, yeah, you can do that. There's a Spider-Man story where it's basically a body swap straight mm -hmm. out of like a terrible soap opera or something. And then the, up, what's that teenage movie where the like Freaky Friday? Yes, yes, it's a total <laughs> Freaky Friday, um, and it lasted for like a year, and it's the dumbest idea. Like if someone pitched that idea to me at Marvel, and I was the editor in chief, I'd be like, "Well, first of all, you're fired um, <laughs> for even suggesting it." But then it turned out so good, and I would have I would have had to eat crow on that one because I was like, "Yeah, oh," and you give it extra respect because you're like, "I didn't." think this was pull-offable. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a podcast called Faded Mates. It's a romance podcast that um, an, a romance author and a romance critic who are friends, they do it. And they refer to that as taking the finger, uh, which comes from a romance that they read where the hero kidnaps the heroine and then his brother is going to chop her finger off with a paper cutter. Ugh. And they talk about how what they really wanted was to see the author manage to do that and make it work and it turns out that in the book she didn't actually lose the finger okay. but they're always encouraging <laughs> you know themselves in their writing to like to try the thing that you don't think you can make work yeah. take the finger and try to make it work it's funny which when, i think is yeah it's funny when you're kind of like rooting for the author that way yeah you're like i wouldn't necessarily want this to happen in real life or like <laughs> to this right. character but at the same time i'm kind of like do it chop off yeah. the finger make it work 
make me That's believe exactly it. it. <laughs> They're not saying like, I want to see this poor character tortured. They're just like, can you pull it off? It's like watching Evil Knievel. Yeah, right. <laughs> How are you going to land this one? Exactly. I think you can get over the ramp, which is like chopping off the finger, but sticking the landing is making me be like, all right, I didn't just put the book down immediately. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, good deal. I like it. Yeah. Cool. Bears behaving badly. Bears behaving badly. Is that? What I recommend it. Men behaving badly. Was that a TV show or something? Is that what this is based on? Oh, I have no idea. It's really possible, though. That's a thing in romance. It's these kind of referential titles. Gotcha. Um, I read a book last year called While the Duke Was Sleeping that was kind of a historical inspired by While You Were Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing. So it's quite possible. I'm not familiar with it, though. I, you know, I don't even remember. I just, that title says something to me, but it, it could have been like a show that was on Fox in 1994 yeah. for three episodes or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite possible. <laughs> um. All right. So... so Remind me of your other three. And you don't have to remember, just the titles. Uh, I have Marvel Secret Wars. I okay. have X-Men Grand Design. And I have Army of Darkness, Ash Saves Obama. Obama. Right. Well, as intrigued as I am by the Ash Saves Obama, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go for the Marvel Secret Wars. I think that's a good choice. All right. Sometime we'll have to do an episode of this of books that uh, we didn't care for so much, maybe. But that are interesting to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And that, that falls firmly in that category for me. Cool. I, I like it. I think that we should put that on the schedule. All right. Well, maybe we should do that next time. We could tease it already now. Be like, okay. guess what, everyone? I'm bringing Army of Darkness, Ash Saves Obama back to the table. <laughs> for, <laughs> for our This Book Didn't Quite Work For Me episode. <laughs> I'll go through uh, my backlist and see if I can find anything that would work for that. I've been really lucky the last couple of years, so I might have to dig back pretty far. Couple of years? Well, you know, yeah. Oh, man. I'm good at picking what I like. What can I say? Well, I, I'll, I'll definitely bring that. I'm sure I can find something else. I'll promise to bring at least one classic, too, so that I can... Oh, I, I have heard you uh, rant about classics, so this, <laughs> that should be fun. Um, it may surprise listeners of this show. I was an English major in college, so I know I only talk about like comic books and goofy stuff, but uh, I, I've read the classics. I've I, I've seen what's out there. <laughs> um, okay, Marvel Secret Wars. So the funny thing about this, and why I kind of wanted to bring it, because I think this is probably more interesting to talk about than it is fun to read. Um, unless you're basically a huge comics fan who's kind of a completionist, you know, if you're like, I, I, if you can read a comic book and sort of be interested in it because of its significance in the history of comics, um, and I don't even mean in the stories in comics, I mean the history of comics publication and stuff, this is kind of a, a fun, very weird sort of creation story. Um, so it starts probably in the late seventies. There's this guy named Jim Shooter and I say he's a guy, but he was 14 when he, um, was reading comics and thought he could do better. And also was like, this could be a way for me to provide for my family. Cause his, uh, parents were, uh, pretty broke. So mm -hmm. he went to the comic store and read through a bunch of comics and he selected DC comics used to publish one called Legion of Superheroes. Um, and he sent DC a bunch of scripts for that book because he thought it was the worst book. <laughs> so he's like, I'll pick the worst one, write some scripts for that and see what I can do. Now he didn't tell DC comics that he was 14. <laughs> okay. Um, so they, they got the scripts, they liked them and they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll pay you for these and we'd like you to come write and stuff. And that's when they found out because he was basically like, well, I'll have to have my mom bring me down when we're on a break from school. <laughs> right. Well, and he can't sign the contract. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Nothing like that. Um, but they hired him anyway to, to write some stuff. So he was kind of writing on and off from when he was pretty young. Um, and uh, Secret Wars was kind of like one of his huge, big 
debut type books. Um, he eventually became the editor in chief at Marvel, but uh, a lot of people at Marvel said they really liked him. But then when he was the editor in chief, they didn't like him because he had such a big head from Secret Wars <laughs> that uh-huh. he was kind of demanding everyone write everything like Secret Wars. So in the 80s, um, DC put out a series of action figures. Um, of their, you know, big characters, Superman, Batman, all that stuff. Um, and Marvel wanted to do the same thing. And uh, they got with, I think it was Kenner, who made the Star Wars figures. And they were like, let's make some, uh, let's make some toys. And they were like, all right, cool. But uh, the toy company was like, here's the problem. Like, at that time, uh, Superman had a couple movies. Um and the DC superheroes at that time were more recognizable than the Marvel heroes. Um, more people knew who Superman and Batman were than knew who Spider-Man and especially some of your, like, uh, this is when uh, Captain Marvel was uh, Monica Rambo, And okay. so, you know, most average people had no idea who that was. So they're like, we can't just make superhero action figures. So they're like, we need a, a comic book tie-in. So the entire uh, reason that Secret Wars exists is because they needed to create a comic book tie-in so they could sell action figures. Okay. Talk uh, about putting the cart before the horse. <laughs> yeah, big time. Um, there's a, a similar story to in Spider-Man comics. For a while, he had a vehicle called the Spider-Buggy, which was uh, kind of like, like a dune buggy, but you know it was Spider-Man tricked out and everything. Um, and it was kind of a piece of junk. And basically, years and years later, the person who was writing Spider-Man at the time was like, uh, they came to me and they were like, look, you need to give Spider-Man a vehicle so that we can sell a toy. We need to make a toy. And Spider-Man just doesn't have any stuff. Like, he doesn't have a spider cave. He doesn't have a, a car. He doesn't really have a bunch of gizmos. Why does Spider-Man need a car? Who's going to drive in New York City or in Gotham when they could just, like, swing around? On the buildings. Exactly. Yep. And that's kind of how the story went is like in the story they gave him this dealership basically gave him a car and demanded he drive it around. But he was like, this doesn't work. Like I'm just stuck in traffic all the time. It's like defeats (laughs) the whole point of being Spider-Man. And then. Is he in Gotham or Metropolis? Did I get that wrong? He's in New York. He's in New York? Yep. Okay. Oh, that's D.C. Yeah. You can tell I don't read the comics like you do. It's okay. I'm crossing back and forth a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. And eventually I think the car got controlled by an evil scientist or something and they drove it off a pier. And I think that was kind of the end of the spider. (laughs) So anyway, um, so you've got like a, a very young upstart writer. You've got a book where they're like, we just basically need a tie in for, uh, these action figures. So they had to get all these Marvel characters together in the same place and uh, create a lot of interest. So this was not the first, um, but it was the first big crossover, meaning like occasionally um, Daredevil would show up in Amazing Spider-Man or like, uh, you know, Captain America would show up in Daredevil or whatever. But this was one of the first where it was like you have all the Avengers, you've got Spider-Man, you've got all the X-Men, you know, you've got the Fantastic Four and they're all in it together. Um, Then they got villains and they did a terrible job picking villains because most of them were like third tier villains that most people don't know, like uh, the Absorbing Man. And (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to take a wild stab as to the superpower of the Absorbing Man. All right, I'm ready. Does he absorb? Um, sort of. He he can basically absorb the properties of anything he touches. So if he wants to punch someone in the face, he'll touch a rock and then he's a rock man. And he can punch okay. them in the face as a rock man. <laughs> so, you know, I can't imagine why he's not more famous. Yeah, it's a pretty hilarious power and for some reason he's always got like a a wrecking ball and he never i don't know if he's ever worn a shirt in the comics like he's just (laughs) he's a purple pants no shirt wrecking ball and he has a very oddly shaped head 
Okay. These are kind of his trademarks, so you can, yeah, you can see why he's not terribly popular. Um, so I guess like uh, it's kind of interesting because they, so they all this thing shows up in Central Park, and the way it was published in the comics was cool because this like weird structure shows up in Central Park. All the heroes and villains go to it because they're drawn to it for whatever reason. And then it vanishes with all the superheroes inside of it. Um, okay. It's this weird cosmic entity who's brought them all to a planet he created, and it's called Battle World. <laughs> right. The it's so creatively named as you as you told us. Yeah, exactly. And um, <laughs> he communicates to both sides, the heroes and the villains, that you know he's providing for them. He's created buildings and stuff, and. Uh, also, for some reason, like part of, uh, I think Denver, Colorado, is has been brought to <laughs> Battle Denver? World. Yeah, I don't know why. Um, That's odd. The only reason, but hey, local interest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only reason I can think why is because I believe at the time Spider Woman lived in Denver, and this was kind huh. of the introduction of this new Spider Woman to comics. So maybe they had, but. I was like, you had to bring the whole city of Denver just to get Spider Woman into this story. Like, that's did it? Did it transport the residents of Denver, or were they just all left sitting in like a, this empty field that used to be Denver? It was like a square mile of Denver was now on Battleworld <laughs> with all of the citizens. Yeah, every all the people, the buildings, everything was just kind of there. Oh man, <laughs> it was really bad, weird. Bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then this, uh, this creature, this being tells both sides, like, uh, if you kill the other side, I'll give you whatever you want. Um, and so with that sort of vague premise, they, you know, have various skirmishes with each other. Um, it's mostly, you know, they do some punching, then they retreat, then they punch. Um, but the most... The funniest thing to me is um, this is like peak Doctor Doom, in my opinion, because Doctor Doom is there with the bad guys, but he uh, the other bad guys basically don't want to hang out with him. And so he decides he's just going to fight this elemental bad guy. Oh, also Galactus Eater of Worlds has been transported here for some reason. Um, huh. This is also very unclear. Can Galactus Eater of Worlds not just eat Battle World? He probably could. I don't know. For some reason, he doesn't. Well, I guess he does try to later on. Um, because then the superheroes are sort of trying to fight Galactus. Um, well, first what happens is Galactus tries to fight this. I think it's the Beyonder is what the the elemental main bad guy is called. Um, so Galactus decides to fight him. And Doctor Doom is like, yeah. I'm going to fight with Galactus also. That's on my level. Um, so he tries to do that and it doesn't work. But then eventually Dr. Doom somehow becomes imbued with uh, like full on cosmic power. <laughs> and he's just kind of running around doing whatever he wants. Um, okay. And he, he hilariously like uh, at, towards the end of the story, you know, he's like, I can grant everyone whatever they want. And the superheroes are like, oh, we don't want anything from you. Like, you're evil and whatever. And he's like, all right, fine. And he just snaps his fingers and they go back home. <laughs> and uh, Doctor Doom accidentally re revives a, a dead villain from the Marvel Universe named Claw. And uh, Claw is kind of his lackey, his Igor, throughout the story. And at one point, Claw is like, do you... Are you recording yourself? Because you're always just walking around saying out loud everything that you're planning to do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually written into the comic, which is so funny because, like, Doctor Doom has spent the last, you know, 30 years at that point just walking around saying everything he's going to do whenever he's going to do it. <laughs> and so, then, yeah, it's a nice way to point out some exposition work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this doesn't make sense. And we know it. <laughs> Yeah, and then because Doctor Doom is like an you know insane dictator, he's like, yeah, of course I'm recording this for posterity. Like, 
Why would you even ask that? <laughs> Posterity. Um, there's a couple other just small things in here. This is the origin of Spider-Man's symbiote black costume. Uh, okay, is that so? I'm. Uh, this is off topic, but I'm curious because I've always wondered: is Venom that, or are they separate? Yes. Um, oh. So here's so, what happens: they <laughs> they go to Battle World, and uh, at one, you know, the Beyonder provides everything they need, like food and shelter and all that stuff. Um, and then uh, their costumes get all messed up because they've been fighting. And so Thor comes out of this room and he's like, hey, there's a machine in there that'll just like give you new clothes. So Spider-Man goes in there because his costume's all messed up and he goes in the machine and then comes out in this new black costume or whatever. Now, what he doesn't realize at the time is that he went in the wrong machine. And so <sighs> he got bonded with an alien life form uh, that has like a symbiotic relationship with him. So it's like a semi-sentient life form. Okay. Um, <laughs> which is like, it's so weird because it's such a tossed off way for him to end up with that. You know, that like Thor isn't going to be more specific about which thing to go into and, you know, <laughs> which alien machine on this unknown world yeah. do you think you should tell Spider Man to walk into? Make sure you don't go into the alien symbiote box. Yeah. Make sure you go into the costume box. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't put the costume box right next to the alien symbiote box. And the symbiote will act as a costume, by the way. <laughs> and I guess Spider-Man's, like, Spidey sense was asleep at the wheel at that point. I don't know. Right. Um, Dang Spidey sense. So then he has that costume. He returns from Battleworld with that costume. And, uh, and then at some point they figure out that this is like an alien symbiote that's making him a jerk. And okay. so he separates from it, um, but then the symbiote attaches to Eddie Brock, who then becomes Venom. Okay. Um, okay, so when you said yes, you meant literally both. Yeah, yep. Okay. I was like, yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the other thing is like, so in every individual comic, so in Spider-Man and in Hulk and in Fantastic Four, in the last issue before Secret Wars, they all go to this thing in Central Park. And then the next month in each of those books picks up, but it's been three months or something. Um, and so, you know, like the thing comes back and he's got like a broken leg and Spider-Man is back in a new costume and stuff. So basically uh -huh. what they did is they set it up so each individual comic could kind of work on its own. But things had happened in the intervening three months and it would be like, right. see Marvel Secret Wars. So it was kind of trying to get you to read that right. to be like how did this happen you know okay that's i have to admit that's clever it was it was a pretty cute way to like uh publish it and do the crossovers and you know since then like marvel and dc both do crossovers like that all the time um, right they civil they do war. events yeah civil war exactly stuff like that so um i guess overall like it's it's more fun to think about and talk about than it is to read. I think the story of its creation is more fun than yeah. its actual. Uh, oh, and by the way, the action figures were terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they had one body mold that they used for all of them. So, oh, that's unfortunate. Yep. So were they there had, any like female? I mean, if you said there were Spider Girl, they had to have at least one for for women, right? Nope. There were no female action figures, and there were oh. also no like uh, different sized. So like, there could be no Hulk or Thing or anyone like that because <laughs> they only had one size. <laughs> and Spider Man and Superman have the same build, or Spider Man and whoever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was so... Captain America or Thor? Exactly. Yep. They were okay, like, gotcha. eh, this is basically the same guy. <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. The, the, they even did later some characters that weren't even in Secret Wars, just because they would fit that mold or whatever. They did Iceman, who was not in Secret Wars, but I think they were just like, well, we'll just paint him all over blue and we're done. Like, <laughs> And uh, they did the Hobgoblin, even though, you know, it was... Yeah. It was a disaster. We it in, guys. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they managed to make very unfun action figures out of this. Um hmm. Yeah, so I don't know if you're like if you're into that um 
if you're into the sort of 80s-ness of 80s comics and like, you know, there's definitely some less politically correct stuff in here and there's some definitely like some... uh there, it's like a push-pull as far as, like, there are some female characters who are pretty good in here and some that are, like, pretty horrible. <laughs> um, but, uh, so if if the sort of historical significance or just, like, if it's on a lark, I think it's a good read. But if, if you're just looking for a good comic to read and you're not, like, a regular reader of comics, I'd probably pass on this one. Okay. Maybe try Flaming Carrot instead. Yeah. You know, if I if I was like, well, geez, I don't even know. If I was like, you have to either read Secret Wars or Flaming Carrot. I don't know which one <laughs> I would tell a total stranger to go for. <laughs> well, then I feel like we've failed our listeners if we can't give them a, a thing that we would recommend. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'd say read Flaming Carrot because basically... You'll have something to tell people about, yeah. True. You'll have a story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's it's like, I guess Secret Wars for me is a qualified recommendation. It's kind of like, if you're into comics and you're kind of curious about it, um, go for it. If you can kind of right. laugh at the, the goofiness of it. Right. Because um, it takes itself very seriously. But... <laughs> That doesn't mean you well, have to take now it. Now we all have some of the background, which I think would inform the reading. It would make it like more interesting. Be like, oh, this is why. And now I'm now I'm watching for like hits of that. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, I think knowing some of the background of it explains some of like why is this happening? Like, yeah, <laughs> the what? weirder decisions. <laughs> yeah, why would you do this in this book? And it's like, eh, they just why would you have an entire square mile of Denver? It's the easiest way they could figure out to get Spider-Woman there. <laughs> Excellent. Yep. So there you go. Um, let's see. So I have, you had Act Your Age, Vision. Mm-hmm. Yes. Patient something? The patient. The patient. The patient. I just wrote patient and I was like, I can't be just patient. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, I f- I'm tempted to ask about Vision just because, like, WandaVision is on and everything. Yeah. But I feel like this has been a pretty comic book-heavy episode already. <laughs> so maybe I'll ask about The Patient instead. The Patient? Yeah. I think that's a good choice. I just finished it last night. Uh, I really I really enjoyed it. But you know I'm a horror reader. I like horror. I'd say this one kind of walks the line between a psychological suspense and horror. So, like, there are some horror things, but it's not super like bloody and graphic so if you're into more like the the emotional dread part of horror i think that does this really well um it is written like an online confessional post like something that somebody would post on something like reddit you know where they're like i have the weirdest story from my job and all of the names have been removed or changed um but i'm going to tell you this weird story about my job and it's written by this guy who says his name is Parker H. Dash. So there are no full names in this. It's always, you know, first names or Dr. G or, you know, something like that. And he's writing about his first job after he got out of med school. He's a psychiatrist. And he came from this, like, super fancy school. He had great grades, lots of connections. And he could have translated all of that into, like, one of those cushy jobs in the fancy part of the city where he's helping, like, bored rich people feel better about themselves and like making tons of money doing it. Um, But he really wants to help people. So he's searching for, you know, a job where he feels he can actually make a difference. And he gets his first job at a state hospital uh, somewhere in new England. It's super run down. Like a lot of the outbuildings are abandoned and boarded up. There's kind of one big freaky looking building um, in the middle. And that's the one that's still running. And, you know, they take everybody. It's like voluntary and involuntary committed people um, suffering various kinds of mental illness. And the floor that he's assigned to, there is one patient um, who is kind of off on his own down the end of this long hallway. Nobody really talks to him. He's never out of his room. They just call him Joe. And only one nurse and a couple of orderlies ever go into that room. And... They think that he's incurable, and the reason that he's so isolated 
is that everybody who comes into contact with him has some sort of a breakdown, usually resulting in suicide afterwards. So they have decided, and he's been in this hospital since he was six years old. Oh, jeez. Like, I know. <laughs> they brought him in at six. He stayed one night because he'd been having night terrors. Uh, they sent him home. His parents brought him back the next day and said, you know, he's not better. <laughs> and they brought him <laughs> back in again. He, his whole personality had changed. And um, yeah, like every roommate they gave him, something horrible happened. And so eventually they just locked him up. He's been in there for, for years. I think he's like in his late teens or early 20s at this point. And he's in total isolation. So we have this, you know, new young doctor and he's like, I'm brilliant. I am going to solve this case and cure him. I'm going to help this poor guy. And so he starts maneuvering so that he can be assigned as this guy's doctor and, um, and cure his psychosis, whatever it is. It's undiagnosed psychosis. And basically the book is the doctor explaining how he went about this and what happened. Um, so there's, you kind of are hearing about, you know, this is how I got into his room. This is, you know, his history. This is what I found in his file. Um, and it, he's a, it becomes an unreliable narrator kind of a situation mm. where you start thinking like, oh, Joe, you, you go out and you're like, Joe is totally evil and he's convincing everyone to commit, you know, suicide. And then you're like, well, actually, is he sane and, and the hospital is just isolating him so they can continue to bill his rich parents to like keep him in this room? And they're like, no, it can't be that. Maybe Joe is just like really manipulative. Maybe he's a total victim. And it's with the doctor too. Like, is, is the doctor uncovering this conspiracy? Is he losing his mind? Is he being manipulated by Joe? So it's, you're never entirely sure what's going on. Lots of atmosphere, uh, super creepy. And there are elements of horror in it, um, but everything can be kind of explained away by madness. So you have to kind of decide yourself, like, is there some supernatural horrific thing happening or is our storyteller just out of his mind? Whoa. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's good. And if you like, um, like a creepy, you know, those old, you know, to kill a, uh, not to kill a mockingbird was that. Cuckoo's Nest, the oh, Cuckoo's yeah. Nest kind of hospitals. Yeah, yeah. It has that that feel where it's like unpleasant and you know, I'll, you know, it's old and it's run down and there are scary people in it and the staff is overworked and kind of disaffected and you know, nothing about it is welcoming or pleasant. It's all kind of creepy and and dark. Yeah, remind, when you're describing it, it reminds me um the movie Session 9. Have you ever seen that one? Maybe. Is that the one where somebody is, they're like cleaning out an abandoned hospital and listening to audio tapes? Yeah. Yeah. They're doing yeah. like asbestos removal and then right. kind of happen upon some tapes or something and they start listening to them. And then, you know, the, yeah. the people start acting weird. And yeah. I think that is a great um, comparison, actually. If somebody enjoyed that movie, I think they'd really like this book. Yeah. I kind of like those ones where, uh, I like when you can have a horror where you can sort of figure out or you can make an educated guess about what's happening, but you don't know mm -hmm. for sure. Like, yeah. it's not just, you know, a mushroom trip where you have no idea what's happening. Yeah. Well, and the nice thing is Jasper DeWitt is really, really good at consistently pulling the rug out. So just when you're like, oh, I see what's happening here, he, he adds a piece of information or changes something and you're like, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, maybe everything I thought was true is completely the opposite. And then he'll do it again, you know, where you're like, okay, now I see what's going on. And then he does it again. And you're like, oh, actually, now I'm kind of changing my mind again. Yeah. So kind of like, I don't know if there's a name for this kind of story, but where, you know, some like horror stories, for example, you're the reader and you know what's happening. Right. Um, and you're kind of watching the characters discover it. But then there's the version where you're kind of discovering it as you go. Mm -hmm. um, and you don't necessarily know more than the characters. You might even know a little less than the characters at times. Right. Um, yeah. And that's exactly what this is. Cause the doctor, Parker, he's telling us the story. He's giving us the information he wants us to have. So whether or not you believe, you know, or you figure it out, you're acting solely on information he gives you. 
So you have to decide how reliable he is right. as a storyteller, you know? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That sounds like a good one. So It's really good. Like on the horror, you know, like read it with the lights off or don't read it with the lights off kind of scale. Where would uh-huh. you put it on? Oh, I'm bad at the scale because I really like scary stuff and I <laughs> never has me like, I don't have trouble sleeping or have nightmares or anything. I'm weird in that way. Um, I will say there's nothing like outwardly super violent, you know, or if there is, it's not a whole lot. So if like blood and guts and stuff icks you out, um, this isn't gonna, this isn't gonna do that. Um, if you and some people are like unmoved by creepy atmosphere, there is a lot of creepy atmosphere in this. So if that leaves you cold, it's probably not going to scare you. But if you like a slow build of like ominous creepiness, it does that super well. And there is some imagery in there where they describe like so when he's six in his file, there's a description of the boogeyman he thinks looks at his walls. And it's pretty unsettling. <laughs> so there's that kind of thing that's, you know, that's weird and kind of gives you the shivers. Um, but it's definitely not, a, it's not a jump scary type of scare. And it's not meant to like paralyze you in fear. It's more like, you know, you hear something, you know, in the back of your house and you're like, it's probably the pipes, gotcha. you know, but in the back of your mind, you're like, but what if it's not? <laughs> <laughs> But it could be not the pipes. <laughs> exactly. That kind of creepy. So maybe more like uh, like the first half of Halloween as opposed to the second half. Halloween, yeah. John Carpenter movie, not the holiday, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah, where it's like the first half is, I think there's some small violence in there, but then it's mostly like yeah. he's in the background or, you know, he's yeah. going by in the car or whatever. And... Yeah, there's, you know, he breaks out of the, the hospital and there's that moment. And he, like, kills the, the guy who drives the the tow truck. Yeah. But mostly it's him, like, standing behind the, you know, the bushes. And you kind of see him and then he's gone. It's mostly that. And I'd say that that, that is the kind of, like, fear that you get from this book. Gotcha. That sounds pretty yeah. cool. I liked it a lot. Uh, and I... I don't know that I've ever read Jasper DeWitt. It's a newer book, so I'm excited I could talk about it. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that uh, with that name. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a pretty good uh, roundup there. I think so too. Go uh, us. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I talked about Flaming Carrot Comics by Bob Burden and uh, Secret Wars by Jim Shooter. And I discussed Bears Behaving Badly by Mary Janice Davidson. And The Patient by Jasper DeWitt. And all both of mine are available through the library in print. And I didn't I'm a bad person and I didn't check other formats. That's okay. Mine are um I know available through Hoopla for sure and may or may not be I'm pretty sure Flaming Carrot we don't have in print, but yeah. <laughs> I think you know, there's the there's the uh the dark corners of Hoopla where you find I'll look through and I'm like, oh, that's weird. No one wants that. Oh, that's weird. No one wants that. And then I'm like, wait, wait a minute. This isn't weird. Everyone wants this. And then I'm like, no, no one wants this but you. You're the only one. <laughs> You're the only one who's like, oh, thank goodness, Flaming Carrot Comics. Are... <laughs> Everyone has secret treasures in Hoopla. For it's all my true. romance readers out there, they have most, if not all, of the Avon titles. Yeah, I would definitely tell people, library users, like, if you haven't explored Hoopla, you should. Unfortunately, uh, there's some issues with it, so it's not in our catalog. Um, Yeah. So if you search for something and it doesn't pop up in the catalog, you have to look in Hoopla separately. But I recommend doing that, especially, yeah, Yeah. comics, romance, stuff like that. Yeah, it's worth the effort. Yeah, and there's some pretty good uh, culty movies in there, too. If you're mm-hmm. into if you're into that kind of thing, which why wouldn't you be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's good mainstream stuff and also good weird stuff. Like, yeah, it's a fun place to just like start exploring the you know the basement of the library and finding all of the weird stuff. Yeah, definitely. And one recommendation I'd make too, if you're looking at comics on Hoopla, I maybe I said this already, but uh, check. You did, but it bears repeating. 
Yeah, check the different editions because sometimes you'll find an edition of a book that has like the first four issues of a comic and then there's another edition that might have 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. And so those each count as one hoopla checkout. So you might as well pick whichever one, you know, is going to take you further. Yeah. But um, yeah, well, I think that I think we're good. I think we did it again. We did it. <laughs> and then uh, we'll be back in in about a month. With uh, some books we didn't like. Yeah. Do a format switch. Fun to talk about, but we wouldn't say take your time and read it. <laughs> yeah. So definitely listen to that episode because uh, reading the books is not going to be the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. <laughs>